before we get going with this week's chat, I have to pop on here and tell you about our new sponsor, Plio, because I have wanted to work with them for so, so long, and here we are. If you haven't heard of Plio, they are the multi-award winning business spending solution built for forward-thinking teams that was launched in Copenhagen by two founders, Jepper and Niccolo, who thought that the old way of managing business expenses was a bit rubbish. And I won't lie, I agree with them. Having won so many influential awards for completely changing the business expenses game for the better, whatever you or your team need to buy to do your very best work, you can now Plio it. And when I say teams, I don't just mean those of you with official employees, by the way. It's an absolute game changer for those of you like me that work with lots of freelancers too. Put simply, Plio is supporting female business owners all over Europe to do great things without admin and red tape holding us back. It saves you, your team and freelancers so much time. I really mean this because there's no longer any need for expense reports or random invoices. You basically just give them all a Plio card and you can see who's spending what as it it comes in and better yet it syncs with all the usual accounting apps so that you know that everything is being reconciled in the right way. I've got my Plio card right here beside me and what I love about it is the fact that I also have a card from my VA Lisa who no longer has to email me to double check card details if she needs to buy something on my behalf which saves us both so much time and I know that it's going to be a complete game changer when we get back on the road and are travelling for the midweek mingle road shows because there has been more than one occasion where Chloe's needed extra snacks or she's had to nip out and buy things like scissors or ice buckets if I've forgotten to pack them last minute. So instead of faffing around with invoices when we're home, I can now give her a team Plio card. Basically, it's a game changer and it would not have won as many awards as it has done if it wasn't as good as it is. The very best bit is that they are offering all she can she did listeners, if you're a new customer, your first three months of Plio for free. Just head to Plio.io to set up a demo and make sure to mention the she can she did podcast when prompted. Their team are on standby to set you up with the offer. Even if you happen to be listening to this episode months and months after its release. A giant, giant thank you to Plio for their support of She Can, She Did, and for handing over the mic to some amazing business owners who happen to be members of She Can, She Did in the middle of this episode, too. They are absolute legends, they're so supportive, but that is enough of me rambling. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. The podcast in which I, Fiona Grayson, sit down with smart, driven, beyond inspiring business owners dotted all over the UK and ask them to open up to me about the candid reality that they've pushed through behind the scenes. Warts and all, of course, to not just launch, but run, grow and sustain their business to date. The overarching aim being to encourage both current and aspiring business owners that if the women that I'm chatting to each week can overcome and did overcome the setbacks they faced, and believe me, not one woman will say that she's had it easy on here, you can and you will overcome whatever challenges this running a business malarkey chucks your way to. This week, I am chatting to two sisters who, quite simply, I could have sat chatting to for hours and hours on end because I have admired their work for what feels like absolutely years now. 
Having launched Spectrum back in 2014 from their garage in Barry, South Wales, yes, I did ask them both to do their best Nessa impression when we first sat down to chat. I am that person. I sincerely apologise. Sophie and Hannah have gone on to grow the company into a globally recognised brand that has partnered with the likes of Disney and Paramount Pictures, to name but a few, and is stored in hundreds and hundreds of stores worldwide. Given that they were once told that in order to be successful, they must move to London. I caught up with Sophie and Hannah at the end of last year. This was actually one of our members events that was too good not to share with you all about the realities they've had to face behind the scenes to build what is now a multi-million pound company, which by the way includes dealing with a warehouse fire that destroyed thousands and thousands of pounds worth of stock, their advice for how to scale sustainably, oh my gosh I can't say that with my lisp, and of course why Wales will always be Spectrum's home. Plus for any business owners who are struggling to get their first sales hang in there because they're very candid about the realities of their first year in business which I am so unbelievably grateful for. I loved 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 recording this one. I have so much respect for them both so I really do hope that you enjoy it. This is Sophie and Hannah's story so far. So yeah, we're the sisters, Sophie, Hannah, and together we started Spectrum. I think it's about, it is literally six and a half years ago now, which sounds, I don't know, does that sound old or young anymore? I can't tell. I don't know. It still feels quite young because for two of those years we were based in a garage. So yeah, now you say we've literally just moved into our new and latest office this week. We've had like three offices so far, but Spectrum is a makeup brush brand first and foremost. and in the past year and into this year, we've launched cosmetics as well. So mm. we're, we classify ourselves as a British beauty brand. Yeah, we're, we're moving more into more areas of beauty, really. So we're, we're getting there. We want to take over, but one brush and one product at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're based in now Penarth, or, but you were Barry. No, we're, we're Barry now. Barry. Yeah, Barry. Oh, amazing. I know you must get it all the time. And I'm really, I hate myself for doing this. But like the Gavin and Stacey family. What's occurring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not oh. going to embarrass myself and try and do this as well. But literally that That's program is my favourite. I think once I've had a glass of wine, that is literally genuinely how I speak. I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, cup of tea? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll do our own version of it, which is basically a bad impression of the Nessa version of it. But that is just, yeah, we are. We're back in Barry and we live Barry. So, yeah, that's our forever home now, we hope. Anyway. Absolutely. And this is the thing. It's why I always look forward to any kind of interview in Wales, because I think with the roadshows, it allowed me to kind of see pockets of how different communities are around the UK. And they're all so special, but there's something about the Welsh community of female-founded businesses. And we'll come on to like how you scaled and everything. And I know that people have told you before that you need to be in London. Oh, I right, think yeah. it's amazing that you've really stuck there. So I want to start with what led you to this? You launched in a garage. I want to know, even before you did that, what inspired this business and what inspired you, especially to go into business together as well? Oh, we don't really like each other. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was one of the main drivers between starting the business was so we could work together. So before Spectrum, we both went to uni, both did degrees. I did media production and you did photography. I, I was employed for about two years. I worked in TV production. 
I was employed for 24 hours <laughs> before I handed my notice in. <laughs> I was going to say. So there's never really been the employable type. Completely unemployable <laughs> from... I don't know how I say that. We both... No, we've, you've had little jobs. I've but. had little jobs here and there, but it's always been a freelance kind of style. Yeah, so we were both... We've always been very creative, um, and I think we get that from our mum. She used to be a journalist, and our dad used... To, well, he's had about five different businesses and none of them have really taken off so we have our entrepreneurial spirit from our dad and also our nan because she was a bit of a wheeler dealer she used to buy and sell antiques and she's lush we love her yeah so because we're both creative we were both working doing freelance content creation so we started doing lookbooks and branding and a bit of like brand identity thing really for lots of other smaller e-commerce brands so we would do lookbooks and photo shoots and email marketing and all this type of stuff. Yeah, kind of like brand identity building, really, which kind of naturally happened because it would start with someone getting in touch. I can't remember if it was on Facebook or something like that. Someone would find a photography Facebook page I had years ago mm. and say, oh, we're, we're planning a, a lookbook. Are you available on X date? And it was always in London. It was never in Wales. And at the time, we were both living in Wales. I'd gone to uni in London, come home because I couldn't afford to stay there. So it turns out that we were living in Wales and actually working for all our clients were mainly London based and old fashioned or accessories or something like that. So it would just naturally happen that they'd be like, oh, well, we would do the shoot. And then they'd be like, oh, do you know anyone who can build a website? I'm like, yeah, we can do that. And I'm like, do you know anyone who can do a video? I'm like, yeah, we can do that. So we'd end up doing the whole brand. Really. The whole shebang, yeah. So it naturally looked quite like how we envisioned it. And we started to see all these different brands become more and more successful. You know, they were featured all over the press, like Grazia magazine, Look magazine for it. It was no more like bizarre, like everywhere, really. So we knew what we were creating was good enough in terms of launching a brand, really. So we just thought after about two years of doing that. Yeah, it was about two years. And then we kind of just thought, well, we're doing all the hard work for all these other companies whereas actually we could do it for ourselves we just need to have a product to sell mm. and then that's when we started to think about what the hell we could sell mm. yeah we didn't really have a plan like it evolved completely naturally just basically out of seeing an opportunity to be honest because mm. we could do what we knew was the hard part essentially in terms of what other people were asking us to do that's why we ended up doing all of it because between the two of us we could mm. so it just naturally evolved from there mm-hmm. and we did think oh, we love clothes, we love fashion, let's try and do clothes. And then we looked into it for about a few weeks and thought, well, we can't really do clothes because you have to have a range of sizes, a range of styles. We had no experience of making clothes, did we? We just knew we liked them, but that wasn't actually enough, to be honest. Thought about shoes, but we thought, well, we've got nowhere to put them and all these boxes of shoes and sizes. And anyway, we kind of kept narrowing it down thinking, oh, we can't do that. And then Hannah just said, oh, like, what about makeup brushes? Yeah, I was literally dropping soap off to the pub and I, I think I must have just been thinking about it. And I was like, why don't we do makeup brushes? It was, was like, purely, neither of us are trained makeup artists. Like, we love makeup, you know, we appreciate makeup. But it was literally purely, I had one MAC makeup brush that was black. And every time I used it, I used to get a little tiny black hairs all, all over my face. Mm. And I just thought, this is really crap and mm. actually really boring. So from a creative marketing perspective, we just thought, we could add some colour, add some style. And it was just born from that, really. Yeah, that came later. I was literally mm. getting out of the car and I was like, yeah, sounds good. See you, bye. And then the next day we were like, make a bunch of this then. Yeah. <laughs> there was no reason that we were, we were thinking about it. We were like, well, there's no real reason why we can't do it. Mm. Ah, okay. So there That's wasn't like 
you know, that barrier to entering the market as such, although obviously it's more difficult than it sounds, but yeah. Did you do much like market research or was it very quite spontaneous? It was a case of, right, makeup brushes, this one's, you know, a bit dodgy, you can do better or... That was the starting point, and then we did we, we did, did get do, some samples. We, we did, yeah. Once we decided, and we thought, well, actually, yeah, it's really great because they're really small to store. They don't go off. They suit everyone. They're not going to be like necessarily returned because it doesn't fit, or someone wears it and then sends it back. So this was just our own thought process, thinking about because we've always been quite into like shopping. We're quite big consumers, aren't we? Really, yeah. So when we did get a set of samples that we had to trawl through the internet to find a supplier which was really hard and took probably eight months yeah it took, yeah from deciding we were going to do makeup brushes it, it did take about eight months and then once we had decided on it and we did a bit of research online just literally just google and we were like right okay so the bulk of makeup brushes are all animal hair traditionally they're made from like horse hair sable hair badger hair goat hair goat hair and we thought, well, that's gross. I don't want to put goat hair on my face. That's fine. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. So right from the beginning, we were like, right, we're going to make them vegan and cruelty-free because we don't want any animal abuse going into making our products. And at the time, most makeup brushes really weren't doing that. And beauty in general just wasn't on the kind of cruelty-free hype. No. So the brand has always been born with those ethos. But yeah, I mean, it was only after that point, really, that we sampled some brushes. And the first lot of samples that we had were absolutely crap. They were neon. No, they were vile. I literally took them, I'm moving house, so I took them out the house the other day, took them to the little Office. storage thing we bought. Oh. Yeah, but I was going to say the only kind of focus group thing we did, we had a load of Hannah's friends around. Yeah. We sat in a circle and we got these brushes out and we're like, oh, what do you think to these? And they were like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> honestly the only people who we asked literally are friends and family mm. when we said oh we're going to start a new business like oh amazing what are you going to do and we're like oh we're going to do makeup brushes and a couple of them went why yeah and then a few of them were like oh like completely completely underwhelmed or yeah. just like <laughs> uninterested and we're like oh well you wait and see yeah I think we said to our mum and dad we're like and they're like oh okay humid us um, yeah humid us and then that's really interesting though. Like, how did you hold your nerve through that? Because that is something that so many women I speak to face, that initial reaction where not everyone gets it. People are a bit skeptical. They're like, oh yeah, all right, we'll see. Yeah. You know, what was going through your head through that? I think it's just blind naivety. Yeah, I think it, <laughs> a lot of it was naivety. And because we knew that there really wasn't anything like it on the market and we so the samples that we had, they were fugly, but <laughs> they were really good brushes. Mm. So we were like, right, well, actually, the quality is amazing. So there's definitely something in here. We just need to make the, the look, like, they need to look a hell of a lot better. Mm. Yeah. And literally, our backup plan was to sell it all on, like, a car boot, try and recoup the money, and then we would just go back to being videographers and photographers. It was naivety. Give it a go, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, complete naivety. There was no real reason why we couldn't do it like we said we'd narrowed it down to the fact that there was nothing about it we couldn't do so we just mm. thought oh well let's just do it let's just give it a go yeah and then we've never listened to what other people say anyway especially me <laughs> oh yeah okay whatever <laughs> you're wrong and I'm right so <laughs> that's very much in terms of you said they've obviously eight months until you finally went for it I'm really interested in firstly how you motivated yourself through that eight months because realistically especially when you haven't got the products in hand yet you're not going but you've kind of got this vision in your head eight months is still quite a long time to wait mm. and also 
just general expense, even like how much you were ordering in those early days just to get yourself off the ground? Because again, it's what holds so many people back. So how did you find it? It was difficult, wasn't it? It was hard, yeah. So alongside doing all the lookbooks and the fashion stuff, because our skills were primarily videography and photography, we were both working together, of course, doing wedding photography. So we would work every single weekend and do a Friday wedding, a Saturday wedding, but we just fully booked ourselves out and then all the money that we got paid for that we just invested into the spectrum pot so we launched spectrum we invested fifteen thousand pound each so we had a thirty thousand pound pot and literally that whole thirty thousand just went on stock Mm. because all of the you know the brands in the website everything else we could do ourselves it's quite a lot of money but the thing is this is what we've always had with the suppliers for makeup brushes we tried and tried and tried to find a way of getting them made in the UK. No one in the UK makes them. The makeup factory just does not exist here. So we did have to go to China and they do have large MOQs, especially when it comes to small items. Mm -hmm. So that is a barrier to market. Luckily, you know, we had been saving and, you know, we only just scraped through on that 30 grand, didn't we really? Yeah. I mean, our supplier, our initial order was for 300 brush sets. So from that those 300 complete sets we like split it out so we had single brushes and and then a couple of brush sets but normally you're faced with like an order you've got to place a minimum of a thousand for example sometimes more so that was literally our backup plan was to try and flog it all as best we could but literally even on placing that first order we quickly realized that all of the brushes were effectively the same brush yeah we ordered like a set of 29 brush that all looked like a flat concealer brush Mm. (laughs) they were rubbish they were crap I mean, the eight months, yeah, you don't have a finished product, but throughout that time, we were getting sent samples and we were getting sent, you know, there was the communication ongoing. So I feel like it does, you know, even now we're sampling for six to eight months to launch something now. So that's just how long it takes, really. So Especially when you want to... Reality, right? You have to just hold your nerve a bit. Yeah. yeah. And you just have to, as long as you're getting small progress. progress, yeah, it might be that in that eight months you decide, oh, I actually really like this logo. This style of packaging would really suit the product. You have to get set up with like an accountant and register in the business. There's so much stuff to keep you busy, but all those things are progress. Mm-hmm. So as long as that's kind of happening in the background, I mean, the finished product is right at the very end, really, mm. unless you plan on having the finished product and then build an F like another six months launch. But yeah. realistically, by the time you get that product, which is what we do all the time, by the time you get that product, you want it to be on sale like the next day, mm. even though like the team would love a bit more time always to like just more time to get the launch sort of like, no, it's got to go on sale in like 24 hours, guys. <laughs> We've been waiting for this long. It needs to go on sale. And that's just, even historically, when we've been on photo shoots and everything, honestly, when we're shooting on the day, the client is waiting for the sample to arrive from the supplier mm. on the day. Like, it's just, once you get it, that is the end. Then it has to go on sale. Yeah, so all the hard work is before Is before it, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that so much. So the product arrives. I presume then that there was a conversation where you had to take over someone's garage. <laughs> <laughs> so garage. <laughs> What was the reality like when it arrived? Like, how quickly did it take off? You know, if you said you were doing the branding, you were doing the marketing, where did you start? Who did you reach out to? How did you go about getting the word out there? And there's one extra question. Yeah, how quickly did it? So we didn't actually sell anything for... We we launched the website on the 28th of April, 2014. 2014. 
we sold a couple literally. to our friends. To our friends, they were petty purchases. <laughs> they were. <laughs> we probably sold about I don't know ten purchases that day, and basically we didn't really sell anything of any note until the December of yeah. that year. Oh my god, I literally love the fact that you've said this though, because honestly, with the team at the moment, we're doing this whole thing on just trying to. Like the reason I started She Can She Did three years ago was to burst that girl boss bubble of overnight success. But more so now than ever, it is just this like warped version that you launch something, it sells out. So keep being oh. interrupted, but I love this. Carry on. <laughs> no, honestly, it was a nightmare. Every <laughs> single day. We we were in the garage like mm. twiddling up. Yeah. And then well, we, we, were, were, we were on photos. We yeah, like, I was gonna say we were editing refresh, photos. Refreshing the page constantly, like is any orders, any orders? I know, and then our mum and dad would be like, Any sales today, girls? And we'd be like, No. no. <laughs> and then you'd be like so you're still gonna carry on doing it for a bit yeah yes. you're gonna see what happens for a bit I'm like yes thank you so yeah even at that point people were like mm-hmm, okay you crack on girls well yeah. still people were still like why like oh. if, if you would come around by that point so be like oh they're really cool but what happened was i think around when did we do the clothes show it wasn't that year was it it was that it year. was that year yeah. so we carried on saving we had to keep reinvesting into the business it was not profitable obviously so we had to save more cash shoot more weddings and then the december time we invested in a trade show and there are still a lot of trade shows i think post-pandemic they'll really really pick up because they are a really good way of people to get their products out there although they can be really expensive and that's yeah. what we thought wasn't it the closure was expensive it was expensive I think it might have been about it was five grand I was gonna say it was about five grand yeah, um, yeah I've heard I've heard that that's like they're amazing once you're there but you have to save and yeah yeah it's a bit of a gamble we're not saying it's the key yeah it's not the key and um, what we did before the closure was literally Instagram and social media I think in our first year of business, we spent 90 quid on Facebook ads. I remember the accountants being like, oh, so what have you been doing? We were like, I don't know, it was just boosting things on social media. And they were like, oh, well, you've only spent 90 quid. And we were like, oh, well, great, because we haven't got 90 quid. <laughs> <laughs> but literally, social media was our main tool. We still do now. We're very active across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram has always been our biggest driver across social media. And I think it's because it's we treat it as our digital shop window. And because the products are so colorful and photogenic, what we did in the beginning, and we still do it now, is we would put a little handwritten note in all the orders and we would encourage customers to post pictures when they got them. And then we would reshare their pictures on our social media, which gave us content, but it gave them like a little, you know, thank you so much. Yeah, um, tag and stuff like that. Mm. So now obviously this social media is so monetized and, you know, it was a completely different thing to when we started. Yeah, We were actively working with people to generate user-generated content before we really knew what that was really but that's a great way for people to actually get the brand out there is I know that when you don't have as much capital you can do send outs and as long as they go into the right hands and a lot of people are really passionate about supporting small businesses especially at the moment yeah if you are looking to do a small business I think the main things in terms of having your Instagram as your shop window is you have to just have half decent like consistency on the pictures because that always looks nice Mm -hmm. a nice logo Mm -hmm. and a friendly enough tone of voice in the captions and I think that's kind of easy to achieve definitely because after we did the clothes show basically 
for our brand and our product, that was like the best trade show that we could do. So it was basically at that trade show and we had all the, pro- the brushes on display. And they were pink. So. And they were pink. And then it was kind of, it was social media influencers, basically. It was all the Geordie Shaw people, yeah. made in Chelsea. Yeah. They all like parade around the, the hall. Oh yeah, they get paraded around. Yeah, 2014, you're saying? 2014. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and like Towie. It oh, was, yeah. It was like all of the, you know, the really grotty, like reality TV stars that we all love to nice. watch. No, I love them. <laughs> They're great. I love them. So they were kind of walking around and we could see them kind of looking at the stand. So we were basically just like, oh, love. Oh, oh. Just yeah. some makeup brushes. They'd be like, oh, yeah, go on, I'm like, right, post them on your social media when you get home. Yeah. Or like, right now. Do you want to do it now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then do it now. Did you ask them flat out to share? Yeah. yeah. It was also before the time when you would really have hashtag ad and sponsors. Yeah. We are really, really lucky that it was before that time. But we were literally like, post it for us and you can have some brushes. Like, pick whatever you want and share yeah. a post. And they were really happy too. Like, I think people genuinely do want to help people. Yeah. Especially when they are in a position of influence. Especially now where kindness and happiness is such like so important to like share what you can yeah that is definitely I think now is a really good time if people do want to reach out and just ask for help yeah, yeah. but I think and- it comes with the guts to ask for help do you know what I mean it's like as in yeah. that is a step that you took you asked for help you put yourself out there definitely. it's always worth not skimming over the fact that you did I read somewhere you said that your customers are incredibly conscious buyers mindful of what they consume I'm really interested to know if that's always been the case and how quickly you started to like pick up on like your customers' habits and cater to them and them only. Like, were you ever tempted to kind of just go for anyone and everyone? Honestly, the temptation is real because doing what we do is really hard in terms of always looking at packaging and the detail and the materials. And it's much more expensive than just to go for like the more mass stuff. It's, It's more readily available as well. Like the Chinese suppliers... At the moment, they still don't really fully understand the concept of recycling. Mm. Because they create everything new to them, recycling's not it's not a thing. They're only just starting to really understand when we're asking for like recycled materials. And because we're still quite a small company, we can't really lead the way on that too much. We can do our best, mm. but we can only take from what's available because otherwise we'd have to commission like loads of cash and you know, we have to ride on the fact that people were switching onto it a little bit more. And as the newness has become available for us to build into our product ranges, then we will go for it straight away. But we can't necessarily drive that forward ourselves. We just have to do what we can, which is why we always talk about attainable, sustainable, because we're really conscious of, I mean, we have done a lot where we've tried to take plastic away completely from our products, but actually then they've ended up faulty. Hmm. You know, we we never put anything in landfill or anything like that. We've sold them for a huge discount at somewhere like the clothes show. Mm, That's what the trade shows are really good for, for shifting any old stock. But we've realised through being very conscious across the board that we can't do everything. So it is really, really important to try and pick and choose what it is you are committed to yeah. without damaging your products because ultimately that's like the worst thing you can do. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a continual thing. I think from the beginning, because we opted for the vegan and cruelty-free element, we have always really had, like, we've always known our customer is conscious and and passionate and compassionate as well. Yeah. So we always keep them in mind when we are designing new products. It's like the brush cleaning soaps that we've done. There's not really anything like that on the market that doesn't use, like, loads of chemicals and that doesn't have 
like a lot of brush soaps are used with like goat's milk and stuff. So we've opted for coconut milk. So it is like soap said, it is an ongoing kind of... R&D is a new thing for us. We never knew about this magical thing called R&D that apparently is a massive thing you can claim for. We've been doing Mm -hmm. R&D for the last six and a half years. We haven't claimed a thing for it Mm -hmm. until this year. It's research and development. Research and development. Yeah. Um, Speak to your accountants about it because basically if you're creating like a custom product that's unique to you and you spend a lot of time like researching and developing developing to make it specifically unique, you can claim back against your like tax. Yeah, we didn't know this until Mm. like a couple of months ago. So yeah, I think what we've tried to do in terms of, I mean, the biggest thing that you can do in terms of it, instead of recycling, I suppose the things to do before that is reduce and reuse. Recycling is like the last part of that if you can't reduce or reuse it. So with a lot of our packaging, especially now, we've made it so lovely and quite like robust. So the vast majority of our packaging is not designed to be thrown away. And the bits that do have to actually go in the bin are just there for hygiene now. So it's actually done pretty well, I think. But it's attainable, sustainable. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Do you have a favourite set of brushes that you've done? Oh, I can't pick a favourite child. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh, hold on. Fantasia, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What's that one? It's launching tomorrow. I haven't got any samples here anymore. I called down the office earlier. I couldn't have got my hat out. It's a Disney range and it's not really my favourite. It's just a newborn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've always got a soft spot for the Glam Clam that we did. We don't do it anymore, but that was our hero product that really catapulted us as a brand, I think. So we are going to look at reviving the Glam Clam. Resurrect it. Resurrect it, yeah. (laughs) I love that so much. Let's talk about all of these because, I I mean, in terms of, like, the types of partnerships that you've created, like, Brogan's just put the new Disney range looks amazing. Oh, Mm. thank you. You know, you've partnered with... Disney like that's mental that's absolutely massive like Paramount Pictures and like I I just put you into Google and obviously you're stocked in pretty much everywhere a beauty range can be stocked but I'm really interested in how you went about securing the very first partnership do you remember which one it was and and how it came about I was Paramount the first one wasn't it yeah Yeah. and that was really that was honestly if you want a partnership just ask like with these people because you really are happy you can literally go to trade shows about licensing yeah and then you can speak to like representatives from other brands and then you can have a conversation and you've got to kind of do so with licensing you have to pay the brand a royalty fee yeah but basically the very first one which was Paramount we're obsessed with the film Mean Girls anyway like we love it and we basically created a like a version of the burn book. And we had our friend who's an illustrator to create like a custom design for the actual print. And we had it all mocked up and we loved it. And then we were like, oh, do you know what? It's so close to the actual burn book. We might get sued. Yeah, we didn't want that to happen, did we? (laughs) So maybe we should look at actually doing it properly. And we got in touch with, we just literally got in touch with Paramount. Yeah, um, I think we Googled them. Honestly, Google is everything. Yeah. Just I, found them. I don't even know if it wasn't the right person. Definitely, you're never going to get the correct email address, but just yeah. reaching up somewhere. So we didn't even go to the Paramount UK team. We ended up speaking to the Paramount USA team. Mm-hmm. We just sent them a picture of it and sent them an email. And they said, oh my God, we love it. Do you want to like make That's, it a thing? Yeah. And we we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is how this works. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. then, yeah, they said... You need to do a business plan and you need to project what you think you might sell of it so that they could place that against a minimum guarantee. Yeah. 
So based on what we said, we might sell, which if you are going to do this, say lower. lower. <laughs> <laughs> because your minimum guarantee is what they will take as a minimum based on your projections. And then if you sell more, then you obviously pay them more in royalties, but you're not tied into paying the maximum in your minimum, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. That's such good advice. What I think is so great about that, though, is that, you know, you went to them and you had an idea that had substance there already to go, as opposed to reaching out saying, I'd love to collaborate. Yeah. yeah, I think that was because we didn't really know what we were doing. But I think if you have got a product and you have got a brand, you don't actually have to go armed with a potential product. But I suppose if you are quite new, it might really catch their eye because ultimately mm. what these companies are is they're generating cash flow for themselves. By off not the, doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> off licensing their IP, which is really amazing that they can do that. And that's exactly what we do with Disney. But luckily for us, they trust us to basically do whatever we want. We do have to upload it onto a system that they have to approve but they don't really tell us oh don't do this or you should do this they just let us yeah they, access everything they, they're great to work with we just let our imaginations run wild and then they say yeah great or actually can you just tweak it so it says this instead and we say yeah no worries mm. but it's great that's like a proper like pinch me moment from yeah. like starting from absolutely nothing to then having Disney just be like, yeah, trust you, go for it. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It's still really They're, weird. It is weird. Like, we get on so well with them. They are literally a dream to work with. Yeah. Um, and obviously with Disney, the opportunity is endless because of the amount of films and characters and... We love it. That's why we just, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Say, the best thing about it is because we're still relatively small, you know, we do have such a huge opportunity because... With range like a Disney range, you can enter different markets because you need to have a point of difference for people to notice you. So, for example, we're really trying to get into some kind of American distributor, whether that be Ulta, Target, you know, somewhere. Hey, if, you, if you're watching. Can't you? um, <laughs> promise anything. <laughs> I know, I'm in joke. But Disney is a vehicle by which we may well be able to do that. But it was really difficult to get to the point where that would be an option because we were only licensed for Disney in the UK. And it's only just about a year ago, actually. It's probably about a year ago now. Mm. We were in America speaking with Disney US for the second time. So the first time we got rejected and then we tried again and they said, oh yeah, come back again for another meeting. I'm sorry, it's not just like popping to London, it's popping to LA, which is fine. Don't mind, don't mind. <laughs> and then second time around, they were like, oh, we think you're ready for us now. I'm like, oh, okay. So yeah, so we've got the license to sell over there now as well, which means that since then they've been trying to make introductions and you know, Larry's been working really hard to speak to the American distributors and hopefully we can crack that territory yeah breakthrough in maybe 2021 oh my gosh that's so exciting i have no doubt that you will a huge thank you to plio for handing over your ad space to us i'm macondoro the founder and owner of berry and brie london's go-to destination for epic grazing catering our wider mission is to celebrate food and help you create memories, providing you with exquisite grazing tables, boxes, platters, and gifting services, handmade with luxury, delicious produce in the heart of London. Our grazing menus are tailored to all taste buds for personal indulgence, celebrations at home, large celebrations, intimate weddings, brand, corporate events, and bespoke gifting and creative mailers. If you're based in London, Essex, Surrey, and the UK at large, whatever you're looking for, we've got it ready to go. If you'd like to indulge, you can find us on Instagram at Berry and Brie or alternatively, our website www.berryandbrie.com. 
I want to move on to challenges because when you hear all of this and you've had such incredible success and so much has happened in the past six years, obviously there's got to be some dodgy days en route to get there and wobbles <laughs> and imposter syndrome the lot. So I'm going to just, let's go for the actual worst days on the job so far. Have you had any moments where you've just been like, why on earth did we sign up for this? I'm sorry, I'm laughing because you can't even make this up, right? So in 2016, <laughs> August, I think it was like 24th, the 24th of August. Was it, 20th? No, was it, it was 2016. Or was it 2017? 2016. Yeah. So basically our whole, the warehouse that holds all our stock burnt to the ground. There was a massive fire. Overnight. Overnight. And we lost everything. <laughs> yeah. Every single makeup brush burnt to a singe, like ash. There was nothing ash. there. Everything. So it was a Sunday. And Dave, the man who uh, managed and owned the warehouse, texted me. And I re- it's ingrained into my mind. So he said, hi, Hannah. Sorry to text you on a Sunday. There's been a fire at the facility. Firefighters are still trying to contain the blaze. It's highly likely all your stock has been destroyed. Call me when you can. And then I was just like, oh, shit. Rang so f- I don't think I could barely speak. I was like, there's a fire, fire, brushes, fire. And I was like, what, what? You okay? It was about seven o'clock in the morning. Bearing in mind, like... On a Sunday, I don't hear from Hannah until like 10 o'clock. Yeah. But I was like, oh, um, are you okay? She was like, yeah, but the brushes, they're all burned. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> I think we were instantly awake, obviously. Just yeah. sat up and we're like, okay, so is it real? Googled it. It was yeah. actually on the news. You that- can Google like BBC Warehouse Fire in Essex. Yeah, it was on it, the news. There's like a really hideous video of everything, like blazing orange. Mm. So yeah, we were like, right, okay, well, I'll see you in the office in 10 minutes. Yeah, we, so we, we were like, right, okay, so what the hell do we do with this? Obviously, it wasn't our fault. But basically, there was a fault, like um, a light bulb exploded in the warehouse. It must have been a massive bloody light bulb that exploded and then the embers from the light bulb rained down and set all the cardboard underneath it on fire and then it just catapulted. So the warehouse didn't just hold our stock, they held stock for like loads of other businesses. So Mm. everything basically just got engulfed into flames. Luckily we had insurance. That's the moral of the story is insurance. It's one of those things that you really is so boring and you never want to use it. But if we didn't have that, we actually would have been completely screwed. We would have shut up shop. Yeah. Yeah. And we were actually only insured. I think we were insured for like, I think it was 500 grand. And we literally claimed like 500 grand. I think we needed to claim like six quid more or something. So Mm. we basically claimed the full amount. But it was even worse because we just launched into Boots that month. That month. So with our product, because it takes, the lead times are about three to four months. So basically, we'd ordered and delivered all the stock to Boots for the initial launch. And then all of the stock that was meant to see us through the next four months, four months had been delivered to the warehouse on that Friday and everything burned to the ground on the Sunday. So we kind of had to email Boots and be like, oh, yeah, so, you know. Just launched. We've but... just launched. That's great. But this has just happened. Yeah. So, um, Actually, the knock-on effects from that fire have lasted until so recently as well, because we were just kind of like at the point where we were entering not just into boots, but we were working with more online retailers and, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone, like the demand for the stock was high. So it was a really good time for us to be growing, Mm -hmm. which is what we were doing, even though we didn't really know what we were doing. We're just buying more stock, basically, and selling more stock. But after the fire, because it was in August, that was basically everyone's Christmas orders that we had ordered to sell. Mm-hmm. And then when we turned around, we were like, oh, we're really sorry, we can't fulfill your orders. And they were like, what? And we were like, well, it's not that we don't want to, it's that they actually burnt to a crisp. And then they were like, 
no one cared. Everyone was like, oh, well, what are you going to do? But we we're like, well, we'll try our best to get some more stuff. <laughs> but we just didn't have any, like, we just didn't have a plan B or, or any more stock. So we just really couldn't do anything. So we just basically were a massive letdown for everyone. And everyone hated us, like, until, like, a year ago, I think. Yeah. We only just started to grow again now in terms of outside of boots, really, yeah. to be honest. It was just us in boots for a long time because they were really nice at the time, weren't they? Mm. They were the only ones who were kind of like, okay, well... Let us know if we can do anything to help. And we're like, yeah. okay, we will. But yeah, we just had to buy stuff. But the, the, those relationships with everyone else just went on hold for a bit. And then you just kind of did what you did to get by. Yeah, yeah, we just had to get by, basically. Basically, the thing that saved us was the burn books, ironically. Yeah. Um, because they had been held up in customs. So the fire was the Sunday. The Mean Girls launch was well, going to be Wednesday. on the Wednesday. Yeah. And that stock had been held up in customs for whatever God-blessed reason. So the warehouse facility had to make like a makeshift warehouse. God knows what they were doing. Somehow. Some some tent somewhere. Somewhere. So basically the sales from that launch helped us buy more stock straight away while we were going through the insurance claim. Yeah. And then I think what we did, we air freighted it all over to get it for, I think we had it, I, I'm sure we restocked in like the end of December. Yeah, we had just about enough. Just before Christmas, yeah. but obviously for partners retailers that wasn't okay so it was just us but that was fine how what's your advice then touch wood no one has the big fire that burns everything but when days like that where you genuinely are stuck like what is your advice for moments like that well we literally had a cry for about 10 seconds and then we hugged it out and then we just started emailing people and talking to people because mm. I think communication, just communication. Yeah. And I think if you are struggling with anything, you know, big or small, it's just about reaching out to people and asking for help. Yeah. And don't be afraid to ask for help and admit that you're struggling. Exactly. That's the thing. What we had to do was admit that something had gone wrong. We hadn't made a mistake, but a bad thing had happened. And, you know, we had the conversation with oh my God, what do we tell our customers? And Hannah was like, well, we tell them we had a warehouse fire. I was like, why don't we just tell them we sold out? She's like, no, just tell them like it is Mm. and people will hopefully be understanding. And I think that's true to this day. Like if you are just upfront and you really are prepared Mm -hmm. to be open and honest, then honestly, that is the best thing you can do. And if you're struggling and that means you have to tell someone, look, I'm really struggling, I need help with this. Mm. Really honest. Yeah, if they're any kind of good human, then people will help. And if they're not, then you don't want to be working with that person in touch with them or or having to even think about that person Mm -hmm. so yeah I love that so much what about the challenges that have come with scaling you know in terms of the success that you've had the pressure to maintain that when all eyes are watching you know industry big names are watching you've got a reputation to uphold now etc etc what's that challenge been like growing the team all of the kind of pressures that come with doing well basically well scaling is really really hard and mainly because of cash so we haven't got any investors or anything and we have just a limited like basically what's in our bank account is what we can work with so when it comes to doing more launches for example we have to buy the stock ourselves so the risk is all on us and obviously ultimately if we don't sell or people don't like it or something goes wrong you know something gets caught in customers whatever it's all on us So with scaling, the biggest, hardest thing is reserving the cash to be able to buy more stock. Mm -hmm. When you want to be spending cash on marketing campaigns and more staff and a nice office and all that kind of thing, it really is the hardest thing to have to keep the cash for the, not the boring stuff, but the practical stuff. You have to have your stock and you Mm -hmm. have to pay your bloody taxes. 
you know, those, and you have to pay the wages. Mm -hmm. So that is what we have to be really focused on to make sure we can do those things. Otherwise, we, we're not a business anymore. So, you know, yeah. what we've had to do throughout this year was last year, we didn't make profit last year, we made a net loss of 10k, which maybe it doesn't sound like a lot. But to us, that was heartbreaking, because it's the first time it's ever happened. Yeah. But it's because we were investing more in stock, and we were trying to grow that was what it boiled down to. We just weren't looking at the bottom line. We weren't looking at the margins. We weren't looking at the boring stuff. We weren't looking at the spreadsheets, which is literally all I do is bloody look at spreadsheets. It's so yeah. annoying. But it means that we're monitoring how we're growing and making sure we can do that sustainably Yeah. so that the same thing doesn't happen again. Because if you continue to grow, but you're not actually growing your cash flow, you will hit a wall and you will have to like cut back somewhere. Mm -hmm. But luckily for us, we are... So far, we're managing it. And, you know, we could get investment if we wanted, but we just don't want the hassle of having someone else's opinion. We're opinionated enough on everything we do. Well, yeah, that's the thing. We've, it's always been us from the beginning. And for as long as we possibly can, we, we just don't want to get anyone else involved because yeah. it just complicates things, really. Mm. But I do think it's like a point, like it glamorizes the whole going down the investment route. But you do, the minute an investor's on board, have to answer to someone. That's just exactly. Yeah. And we just don't. Yeah. We're just not there. We're not about that life. No. <laughs> What about the challenges of growing the team? I've obviously spoken to Lowry quite a lot and she just seems like the most amazing woman ever. So you've got some amazing people behind you. But how did you go about finding them and what has been that experience like, you know, managing, delegating? It's hard. It's really hard because, well, we are really fortunate. We're a small team, but our team is amazing. And, you know, without them, we'd be in an early grave I think because there's only so much that we can possibly do ourselves so we're very supported and and the team are just as passionate about spectrum as we are so you know they give us ideas and they're always working just as hard as we are to make it as best as it possibly can be so we're really really fortunate in that respect but it is hard to find the right people but I think it's more about the culture for us yeah you know, like a few of the girls and I say the girls because we're all girls but we haven't always like brought someone into the team with this is something that someone said to us the other day we need to go back and really look at everyone's job descriptions because everyone like does a bit of everything and it does get confusing but it's because we bring people into the team without necessarily knowing where they'll end up mm. because you know we want to work with people and when they show that they're really good at something when we're going to move them down that route rather mm. than just say well no we, we hired you to do this so it's nice because people can kind of progress how they want to progress. And obviously we want to grow, they want to grow. Ultimately, everyone's working towards the same goals, which is to get bigger and better. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's really difficult because if you find, you know, we have had a couple of people come and go, but not that many. And then normally like a couple of times, it's just because they want to go off and start their own business after a, a certain amount of time working for us. And a couple of times it's just been because maybe the culture is a little bit different because we're all so motivated and we're all very hardworking. If someone can't keep up with the pace, they might feel a little bit less inclined to stay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's fine, you know. We're lucky because in Wales, we are one of the biggest and best companies to work for. Not the biggest, but definitely the biggest in terms of potential. Yeah, and um, we're, we're very niche as well. So we are very fortunate because the only other company that's kind of similar in terms of like skills would be like Peacock's head office, which is in Cardiff. So that's, that's the place I lasted for 24 hours. Yeah, mm. it's, it's not a nice place to it's work. It's not a nice place to work, but two of our team members came from there and the training and the skills that they brought upskilled our business as a whole. So I think that's kind of something as well. Like we definitely look for people who are hardworking, ambitious and passionate. 
but we also put faith into our team that they know stuff that we don't know. Yeah. And, you know, you only know so much. So I think it's crucial that you're not always trying to employ people who are kind of not going to help you grow. Yeah. That's what we need to do more of. Mm. Yeah. Charlotte's put, love the flexibility and supportive way you work with your staff. So do you I want to move on, very conscious of time. So I'm going to wrap up. And I don't want to end on doom and gloom, but I do feel like there's obviously been some good things to take from this year as well. So in terms of the dreaded C word and how this year's played out, can you give a brief overview of how COVID has impacted Spectrum? But I'm really interested in whether there's been any kind of key insights, not just from like a business head, but also personally, whether 2020 has like changed your own personal goals and what you want for the business. So two questions, how it actually impacted and then future plans. Um, I mean, definitely the impact has been good and bad. So we did have the orders from our biggest accounts with the high street accounts and shriveled up overnight, haven't quite recovered yet, but they're getting there now. So that's positive. So it was just a huge adjustment at the beginning. And we really, really had to do these boring things that we talked about, like looking at our margins, looking at spreadsheets. And that's because we knew we were going to run out of money. So we had to try and stop that happening by reducing costs across the board which was a huge eye-opener for us because ultimately that's what we should have been doing anyway. And we were forced to do that because we had to. So that's a really good thing now, the fact that we have gone through that process and we're better for it. So definitely COVID's made us better businesswomen, you know. I think so. And yeah, I mean, even though the, the wholesale and the physical retail orders dried up overnight, literally they stopped overnight and then there was no indication of when they were going to reinstate. And like Soph said, they still haven't come back to the same level that they were at before they stopped. But it's good in lots of ways because what we set ourselves as a target for this year was to match and outdo the direct sales that we did back in 2018, which was a much better financial year for us. So we were all along from the beginning of this before COVID, we were like, right, how do we get our direct sales to be stronger? How do we reach new customers? How do we sell more, basically? And obviously, with people staying in and being online and on social media constantly, it has really helped us with like visibility and, and, and talking to our customers again. Yeah. And I do feel like it's given us the opportunity to sit back and reconnect with our customers and you know see how they react to our new launches, see what they love, see what they're not so keen on. So it's really helped us to kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture of the brand rather than just the like day-to-day. keeping our head above water on the day-to-day. Yeah. And particularly for us personally, we were barely ever home. We were constantly traveling to pointless meetings half the time mm. that could have been an email or a Zoom. Um, even a text. Even a text, <laughs> yeah, or never happened at all. Mm. So, you know, and obviously when we go to London, it's an overnight stay in a hotel, it's a train. Sometimes it's two nights because when we're up there, we try and cram in like a thousand meetings rather than just the one. But obviously when we're we're away from our desks and we are traveling, you are kind of focusing oh, yeah. on other things. Our focus wasn't in the right place, 100%. And not to mention that last year we spent 75 grand on traveling. Mm. Yeah, I know. That's a joke. An obscene amount of money. That's ridiculous. There was never, maybe hardly ever more than two nights in a, in a row we'd be home. Like yeah. it'd be one suitcase and another suitcase and another suitcase. Just switch stuff around and pack some new pajamas and some pants. <laughs> so that's been much better in the end. Yeah, life. yeah, and it's changed the way that we're definitely not going to be traveling anywhere near as much. No. Because thank the Lord, 
a Zoom call is way more acceptable now. And yeah. we've, we've had amazing meetings over Zoom throughout lockdown, like really positive ones um, and really important ones that, you know, normally we would have had to go to America or something to do. And we've mm. done it over Zoom and it's yeah. been great. And we have instead, you know, we've obviously, we're not going to stop traveling. We will still continue to go, you know, face to face sometimes is the best way to go, especially when we're, we're meeting new people. Mm-hmm. But that money we've saved, we've managed to invest that because obviously the overheads have gone up in terms of our new office. But, you know, we have made a statement. I feel like if if you haven't seen it, everyone needs to go and have a stalk because I've been like following Mm -hmm. your journey and like how I just am obsessed. But carry on. Sorry, I interrupted. We'll post more about it. It's not quite finished yet. We're getting there. But um, (laughs) so, yeah. So, for example, we see that now as our hub. And I suppose it is a little bit wrong before for us to think, oh, God, you know, we can't tell people to come here for an office because it's not a nice office. Realistically, we should have said a long time ago, oh, if you really want a meeting, guys, come to us. But now that's a really firm thing. We've said we're just not going for pretentious meetings anymore. And if people do want one, hey, come to our nice pink office in Barry and stay a night here kind of mm-hmm. thing. So that was a really good positive as well. So, yeah, yeah lots of positives. I love that so much. Sophie, you've referred to Spectrum as relatively small a number of times throughout this interview. <laughs> and I think I can speak on behalf of everyone on the call where to us it's a big business. So I'm really interested to know, to wrap up, what are the ambitions for the relatively small business going forward? Where do you want this to go? I say relatively small because we always say, and we still think it's so true, we are such a small fish in a big pond Mm. so you know we've had an amazing growth story but realistically there's so much out there yet to do and so much that we can still create this is why I say we're relatively small I just think we're relatively small in terms of what opportunity there still is Mm. because our ambitions are they are huge I just think if your goals are not big enough to really intimidate you they're not big enough so there's every day I'm like oh my god what am I going to do about this but that's a good thing so relatively small to us is just a term that means we've just got a lot more potential really yeah I think ultimately we just want to we want to continue to grow like short-term ambitions we want to dominate not dominate oh yeah dominate dominate over, <laughs> not dominate overnight but definitely get into like a U.S. retailer you know do more with our customers direct in, in America and Australia is another big territory for us as well so I think short term, it's kind of getting into more retailers. And then long term, the goal has always been world domination. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the thing, though. You're so right. And it's like, there's a whole lot of women on the planet. Most of them do wear makeup. There's the ability to just take it wherever you want, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's so, so true. Never limit yourself. Okay, I'm going to move on to some questions. So Jess, put, what are the hours like you work? Are they crazy long to juggle so many different things or have you found a work-life balance? I'm going to add that. How has it evolved since early days, getting off the ground to now? There's no balance. I mean, neither of us have children at the moment, so I, I have no idea how that's going to pan out. But obviously, you know, we're going to have to do it at some point potentially. But yeah, I suppose, you know, it's just another thing to juggle. I mean, typically we in the office, we'll do like, you know, half eight till five or what have you. But then when we get home, we'll still be working on our laptops and mm. um, watch in front of the TV. I think when it's your own business, your brain is just constantly ticking over. Mm. I mean, switching off for us, going for a walk with the dogs or our mum keeps us very grounded. She does like a lot of like energy healing and Reiki and stuff. So she'll give us a bit of a zap now and again, which is lovely to yeah. try and help us switch off. But we don't really... I truly think anyone who says they've got a work-life balance just isn't really they're not really working I gotta be honest like I just don't think it happens like 
eventually, maybe if we retire, I might take a break, but I've got a really busy mind. I don't want to be sat there doing nothing. So personally, if I'm not busy, I feel quite down. So it just goes hand in hand, really. I don't rest well. So that goes quite well for running a business, I suppose. But I think it's been intensified more so with COVID as well, because when you're at home, like for me personally, it has anyway, because the only time I switch off is if I'm physically away somewhere. If I'm on holiday, you know, we normally, we won't go on holiday at the same time. So I'll look after everything while Sophie's away and she does the opposite, like, you know. But unless I'm physically removed from the UK and I'm on like a beach somewhere or a city break and I'm doing something, I'm not switching off. So Mm -hmm. I think for me personally with COVID, it's just intensified the lack of work-life balance. Mm. Even sat at home all day, I'm doing stuff constantly. I'm just constantly on a screen. So it's a very negative answer, I'm afraid. I think it's like a reality for so many people. And I think it's really interesting that you said like going back to the relatively small thing and you've still got so much you want to achieve so the to-do list is always going to be there right like no matter how much you get done it could be bigger so I just think like it's just almost accepting that that's you just get used to that little ticking away right yeah Yeah. it's fine like I don't dislike how I live you know if anything I would like to have some more downtime Mainly because I find the thing that really um, always makes us realise how important it is to have some rest when you do rest is that we always come up with some amazing ideas and we always feel really, really motivated and really inspired when you do manage to have a a switching off period. And they say, I don't know who they is, I don't know, I read it somewhere, that when your mind is rested, it's actually more creative. And for us, that's so, so important. Sometimes you can see things clearer for taking a break. Mm. And that's when most of my creative inspiration happens is literally when I'm falling asleep and then I'll wake up and give Hannah a ring. Oh, we should do this. And she's like, oh yeah, okay, let's like flesh it out and talk about it. But yeah, luckily for us as well, we get a lot of people reaching out to us in terms of, oh, we love you to do this and we want to stock you or something like that. So the to-do list is growing, but all in a good way. So I don't think we'd ever be content with not having a to-do list. No. Like, yeah. literally, we're never not thinking about the next thing and, like, how can we make that better and what else can we do? And, yeah, that's great, but what about this? Like, I mean, that's important for our team as well to know that we're not just, like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true. No, I love that answer so much. I'm going to... I always end with some really quick-fire statements. We'll keep these super, super quick-fire just to end so I'll start and I'd like you to finish ladies being my own boss means freedom I was going to say the same thing (laughs) working for myself yeah yeah when it's not quite going to plan my advice would be to take a breath hug it out and keep calm carry on indeed if I could describe myself as a businesswoman I'd say that I am passionate I was going to say the same thing (laughs) (laughs) if I could go back to day one of my business I'd tell myself Wow. Oh, the garage won't last forever. No, I was going to say, um, wash your hair more. <laughs> Take me time to wash your hair. Honestly, me time. I would say from the beginning, me time. Remember it. It exists. Absolutely. And very lastly, I want my legacy to be that. World's best makeup brushes. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Honestly, genuinely, I speak on behalf of everyone. You've been amazing. Hands down, one of the best interviews today. It's been, yeah, amazing. Thank you both. Oh, thank, thank you for having us.
thank you so much to Plio once again for sponsoring this episode and for going that extra bit further to support female business owners by handing over the mic to our amazing members during this episode's ad space. As one of their 15,000 customers, I know full well we're in safe hands with this one. It really is a game changer for how we manage expenses. So I highly recommend taking advantage of their special offer for She Can, She Did listeners and seeing for yourself what all the fuss is about. Get your first three months free by heading to plio.io now and make sure to mention the She Can, She Did podcast on your demo. The link's in the show notes now. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you happen to enjoy it, please do feel free to subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, etc, etc. I'm sure you know how it works by now, but it really does help to give the series a little boost and I for one would be so unbelievably grateful. For now though, have a lovely day and please do keep a lookout for next week's episode. <laughs>